Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Tom Okura. Marler, today, we've got it just meant more. We have a game of a couple new faces to the SEC, relatively new faces at the time at least. Texas A&M, Johnny Manziel on the road against number five, Mizzou. Mizzou trying to clinch an SEC East title, something that nobody, nobody thought was going to happen going into this year. But in year two in the SEC, these two teams played in a much more meaningful game than we thought we were going to see. Yeah, did not. Um, this was a fun year. We talked about this before this specific season because I, I think like we did the or when I did like the best teams never win a um, what do you call it a title. I forgot how good this Mizzou team was, and they were not just like I think like a lot of people think it's like all right, well Mizzou has a really good offense because they were in the Big Twelve, or Mizzou had a really good defense because they had Michael Sam and and Shane Ray. They were such a really well-balanced team on both sides of the ball and just a very good football team. They were, and one of those teams that that coming into the year just was not on anybody's radar, and understandably so, because you're one of the SEC, yep. Mizzou wins five games, and everybody can write off Mizzou. It's easy. I mean, they were picked to finish sixth in the division. I mean, yeah. the craziest thing about looking back at this game, and I, I don't give this enough credit but the two teams that played for the 2013 SEC Championship game with Mizzou and Auburn went a combined 2-14 and 14 against the SEC the previous year. 2-14 yeah. and 14 in conference play the previous year and then turn it around. Both teams were the turnaround stories in college football that yeah. year. And Mizzou getting a chance to clinch the division on their home field against Johnny Manziel. You've got Brent and Kirk in the house. I mean, this is big-time stuff for a program that... Uh, quite frankly, has not had a ton of those types of moments. Uh, so I disagree. So I think we don't think that Mizzou has a lot of those moments. And what's unfair about this season, I brought this up several times, is the year before they come into the SEC, they lose all five starting offensive linemen for the entire season, lose their top six overall. They have a, they have a very difficult first year in the SEC. But this is a team also that is about five years removed from being the number one team in the country, but no one gives them credit for that because they played in the Big Ten and the way, or I'm sorry, the Big 12 and the way they came in their first year in the SEC. I mean, this is a team that, like, you know what? I'll, I'll just, I'll say it. Me and Adam Spencer talked about this this weekend. Um, they have won two division titles since Tennessee has won their last division title. And at it has this time, close. hadn't, at yeah. this time though, hadn't won a division title just yet. Right. And obviously, like they, they had success that, yep. and, and I shouldn't say that they didn't have any success. The year that they had in 2012 was the anomaly. And if right. you had looked at what they did, they had six straight seasons of eight plus wins yep. before that year, and they had averaged 9.3 wins per year. Chase Daniel, mm-hmm. Blank Gabbert. I mean, they had some big time prospects, some big time years. Yeah, I mean, they they had some moments where like, wow, Mizzou. Okay, Mizzou is legit, but. The problem was is that they're still kind of considered the program who is like not going to get over the hump. Like they might mm-hmm. have like a good season, but to be sitting there in the regular season finale with still a chance to play for a national championship. I mean, yeah. that is still on the table for the number five team in the country who you find out and I wanted to bury this a little bit, but it's inevitable. And they led the broadcast with it. 
the same day as the kick six. And all yeah, of a sudden, so I everybody, about that. <laughs> everybody's thinking, all right, you don't have to face Bama. You're all of a sudden going to have to face Auburn. And that path for Mizzou looks a whole lot clearer than it did yeah. even 20 minutes earlier you know, prior to this game where it looked like, all right, you just assume Bama's going to be in the SEC championship. A road to the national championship is going to have to go through yeah. Bama. I was wondering why, if there was a reason why you had remembered the Mizzou-Georgia game so much more than <laughs> this one, and now it makes perfect sense. So, and, I, and, and that's like the most perfect example of like subliminal feelings or subconscious feelings, I guess, because I, I, I remember I was texting Jeff literally this morning, my buddy who's the, the, the Mizzou fan, and, and I was like, why didn't I, why didn't we watch this game together, dude? Huge game, huge Mizzou game. We've, we've been, we've, we went to a Mizzou game earlier that year in Nashville for Vanderbilt. Uh, like, why would I have not watched that game with you? And he was like, are you serious or kidding? And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, have you watched <laughs> the full replay? I'm like, yeah, I'm watching it now. He's like, has anything weird popped up on the bottom line? And I, and I hadn't even looked. And oh. like it, it was just like constantly streaming too, and it was the like whole time. Yeah, they did updates in mid game with Reese Davis to be yeah. like, in case you somehow missed it, the kick six just happened, and the college football world has no idea what's going on. Yeah, I, so, and I tell you what, the, the most painful part of that you would think is just the kick six. I definitely, definitely, definitely forgot that we had a fourth and one on the on the twenty nine yard line with five and five minutes forty seven seconds ago in the game. Regardless. That is why I forgot that game. But also, the thing with the Georgia game is because, like, that that was, like, that game. I'm, I, I've said this before on here, and this is, like, pat myself on the back, humble brag. I, when I, that's the first year I started writing articles and doing my whole winning and boozing thing. And I, I made that game. I was like, Mizzou's going to beat Georgia. And it wasn't just because I was, like, trying to piss off Georgia fans. I was like, Georgia is not ready for this Mizzou team. Mizzou's going to be – Mizzou's going to go into Athens and win. And that that game itself kind of started the whole topsy turvy weird weird year in the SEC because it was mm-hmm. like it was just a you know October game you know nobody was expecting that and it kind of set the tone for the rest of the year of all these things that that happened throughout the season and and the season ends in a way that we never would have thought coming beforehand like like if you would have started in the beginning of 2013 or in the summer going into in, into that like the preseason magazines. Everybody, all anybody talked about was that second week of the year when it was Bama A&M. And if you're going to tell anyone that Mizzou and Auburn are going to play for the SEC Championship and a right to go to the national title game, I mean, that's crazy. Wild. Something that you wouldn't quite believe. And the other important stat there about Mizzou that I, that I meant to throw in um, with the why this was such a significant moment, this is a program that had, entering this, this season had one top 10 finish since 1970. Mm. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So this... Having the chance to potentially play for a national championship after the year that was, when their one loss was actually kind of fluky too, because they had the South Carolina, right? It was a South Carolina double overtime field goal off the crossbar, like all that. So that actually had that was preceded by this four week stretch in which they beat Arkansas State and Vandy, which Vandy finished the top twenty five that year. James Franklin, people forget that. So that win ended up looking a little bit better by this point of the year. I was there for that. So they beat. Right, exactly. So they beat those two teams, and they beat Florida and Georgia, all of which by at least 15 points. Yeah. They weren't doing what Auburn was doing, where it felt like Auburn is just kind of kind of getting this, you know, as you would say, this, this fortune, this incredible fortune of good luck to be able to get past some of these games, where it's like, just never, you'll never convince me. You'll never convince me ever, ever, ever in my life 
that that season alone doesn't prove that Auburn, that God's an Auburn fan. And I know we've joked around about that before <laughs> on this podcast, but I mean, like, bro, like they, whatever, I'm not doing this today. That South Carolina team was the team that was watching the scoreboard as it was playing Clemson, hoping Mizzou was going to lose yeah. that game. Everybody knew it's it's Clowney's last year at South Carolina, and even though it was a bit of a letdown in terms of what he went through and you know the playing, not playing, not, whatever yeah. it was, they it was dominated still cons- Clemson, didn't they? Yeah, they they beat Clemson by two touchdowns that that day. So South Carolina fans were kind of sitting there like, well, this Clemson game doesn't mean a whole lot because they already had two losses, so it wasn't like they were going to be going to a national championship. It was all dependent on being able to get to the SEC championship in order for them to have the season that they wanted to. But Mizzou prevents that from happening because, as we know know from rewatching this game, they won a great game with A&M, and it was fun to watch the, the back and forth and seeing at a place where you could tell it just meant a little bit something different. And I don't know if it was just the whole, you know, Brent calling the game, it's at night, it's a sold-out crowd at Faroe Field, and it just felt bigger. And it's so much yeah. different than the type of games that we've seen at Mizzou the last five years, really, mm. that this game kind of makes you forget about just how big of a high Mizzou was on in the early part of the 2010s. Well, and, and we shouldn't, because we give credit to – we talk about all the time how, like, like th- this is a program that has been cheated out of so many big moments. The fifth down against Colorado. Yep. Like the like, like think of think you tell me as an SEC fan, you you tell me how you would handle this happening to your team. They I believe they had a chance to win the na- go to the national championship or be in the national championship at, at year 1990. I could be completely wrong, but I know for a fact they were playing a team that ended up sharing the national title that year with Colorado. It was 1990 or 1991 and the fact that like so, what ends up happening is they get a goal line stand, and the the official for whatever reason forgets to turn the down marker, and Colorado gets an extra down. They get a fifth down. Like they think if that happened in a Bama game, I Harvey Updike would have gone directly to that man's house and pulled a Carol Baskins immediately. Just saying, just saying. So they have that. They have the Scott Frost stupid kick in the air touchdown in '97 where they should have beaten. Uh, Nebraska, who ends up also going for a share of the national championship. They have so many moments in the 2000s. Uh, 2007, people forget this. Game day was in Kansas City because it was a like, one-versus-three matchup. or one, It might have been one-versus-two against Kansas. 2008, they're playing, I think, again, they might have been number one, playing Oklahoma the last weekend of the season in the uh, in the Big 12 championship game with another chance to go to the national, ta- uh, national championship. And we give them so much crap in the SEC for why. Like for I mean like their their program, especially over the past thirty years, has had more has had better highs than you could say Georgia. You could say, well, not Auburn, I guess, because Auburn went to, went to the national championship. But like a a lot of Georgia other, went to a national championship as well. Which that's true, yeah. So, but I mean, like, yeah. So maybe not Georgia, but like, like I'd say probably over half the SEC. I think that's fair. As for why they were always kind of given this "you don't belong" sort of treatment, and this this game, um, I don't know if I don't think that's necessarily the reason. If you go back and look at when they first were invited to the SEC mm-hmm. and how all of that went down, when everybody's trying to figure out what in the world is going on with the Big Twelve, the Big Twelve looks like it's about to explode. Mm-hmm. Texas is threatening. Texas and Oklahoma are trying to do their own thing, and Longhorn Network happens. 
Longhorn Network was what prompted A&M yeah. to want to move and go to the SEC after they actually initially agreed that they were going to stay right. in the Big 12. But Mizzou was the throw-in team, so mm-hmm. to speak. And Mizzou had entertained the possibility of going to the Big Ten from a geographical standpoint. Made more sense. Made Basketball more sense school, than the SEC. Academics? Yeah. Yep. Did not fit the typical bill of the SEC in the way that A&M did. And A&M, when it comes into the SEC, has Johnny Manziel. Yeah. And 2012, this first year that they have where they show that they belong. And Mizzou, meanwhile, is all of a sudden the team that goes from being really good Mm -hmm. and one of the nation's better teams to, oh, first year, you know, you win five games. And so we look back on those early beginnings and the two years that Mizzou had in 2013 and 2014 should have poured cold water on the fire takes saying Mizzou doesn't belong in the SEC. Without a doubt. The problem is that in the post-Gary Pinkle era, it's been so difficult, so difficult to rise above mediocrity and just the struggles to beat a ranked team. I mean, think about this that. Is, yeah, like, yeah. Drew Locke beat one ranked team in his three years as a starter, three-plus years as a starter. I And I agree with all that, but when we talk about it from the SEC and the teams that they get the most crap from, when you talk about – Florida, and you know what? I, this is like saying Bloody Mary. Yeah, the it, Florida thing. But, I but agree. I'll say, it, but Florida fans, Tennessee mm-hmm. fans, Tennessee fans talking. What time are we at here? Thirteen thirty. Let's write it down. Tennessee fans talking about about Mizzou after getting beat fifty to seventeen back to back years. That takes some. That takes some gumption, man. Like that's crazy to me. And then like the Florida fans too. They they, in my opinion, they get the least amount of credit because when they came into the league. They had the whole grown man football thing that Georgia went in there and and they beat the they beat the brakes off of them in Columbia, and they had the they were holding up the signs that like this is grown man football because of something that was said in the offseason. That that never happens when you don't lose all five starting offensive line. We make excuses for every other team. I think in the SEC, you're like, well, it's easy to see why this happened versus like you know it should have happened because of this this and this. But with Mizzou, for whatever reasons, SEC fans don't want to do it. They're the furthest away. They're the they're the first out of mind. Mizzou is kind of like Mizzou in the relationship that it has with the SEC is almost like the 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 saying about how don't try and go from intern to full time employee at one, at a specific company, right? Okay. Because it's difficult for your bosses to think of you as anything other than that intern who had right. just started off, and it's tough to t- kind of change their perspective of how they think of you, yeah, and. When this move happened and Mizzou is considered the team that is following AM because the SEC wanted to have an even number of teams so that they could have divisions yeah. of seven and seven with the, the SEC championship, they were also the team that wasn't coveted by the Big Ten as much as Nebraska was. Mm-hmm. And Nebraska was welcomed into the Big Ten. So Mizzou, fair or not, was considered the afterthought, even though Mizzou has had more football success than Texas A&M. Now, they don't have the money, they don't have the resources that Texas A&M does, and that's the big difference. They don't have the market. And so that has been the thing that has always, in my opinion, kind of worked against them. And this geographical, like, who are they? Because I I struggled with that as a senior in college when I'm picking, you know, the the schools that I want to go to, and I wanted to go to Mizzou, and Mizzou was my second choice. If I didn't go Great to Indiana, I was going to Mizzou. Best in the country. Best in the country. And I had really thought long and hard about it, but I was like, you know, I didn't really picture myself like growing up and going to a Big 12 school. I don't really yeah. understand kind of the culture and the traditions and the history. You're further and away Mizzou from was, Tim Tebow. 
Exactly right. You know no, that was Cardinals fans. It was it was going to be Florida south of the Mason Dixon. That's there what you it go. was. Yeah, so, yeah. Subconsciously, I was like, I just can't be surrounded by Cardinal fans all the time. That would suck. <laughs> um, but I I remember thinking to myself, you know, if Mizzou was like kind of this this team that had been in the Big Ten for thirty years, I think I would think about them differently. And mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you that I that I would have definitively gone to Mizzou had they been you know in the Big Ten because they were still like seven hours from where I grew up. Yeah, but. I just kind of remember thinking Mizzou has this struggle for for an identity crisis, and they've kind of always dealt with that during this period of realignment. And for whatever reason, they have not been able to kind of get over that hump and be considered this like, hey, you belong in the SEC, despite the great year that they had in 2013 and then again in 2014. And I tell you what, and I will admit this a thousand percent. I, I will I will be a homer and I will stand for Mizzou way harder than I would for Bama on this podcast because it pisses me off that like as SEC fans like I always say this like let's try let's just try to be logical here for a second and talk about this in like a logical way and I feel like with Mizzou that goes by the wayside more than any other other team but you're right like they haven't had like even when they're in the Big 12 man the Big 12 used to be the Southwest Conference and like you remember like in the 80s the Big 12 was like 8 it was or the the Big 12 but at the time it was like they had the Southwest Conference where they ended up like doing the realignment then with the Big 8 and it becomes that had eight schools from Texas and then Arkansas. Yep. And so then they, they switched to the Big 12, and it's like, God, Mizzou, Mizzou's just kind of always on the outside looking in. And I, and I tell you what, I totally understand the Big Ten wanting to get Nebraska. Like, and, and from a football standpoint especially, I think that's backfired tremendously because Nebraska hasn't done anything of note. I disagree just because of the market. The market is still. No, no, it's, it's, I, I agree with that. I'm saying it's backfired in terms of they brought them in thinking they were gonna they were gonna be a national relevant, not even power, yeah. but a nationally relevant team every year, and they're not. And and I think when you talk, I mean, I, like I remember growing up watching some of those Nebraska Oklahoma games, Nebraska Texas, Nebraska Colorado. The day after Thanksgiving was always my favorite with with LSU Arkansas, and it bums me out that like the realignment and the and the greed and honestly. If we're gonna blame anybody, we're gonna blame that dumb steer Bevo because it's his effing yeah. school that did all this. Like they they kind of forced the hand of so many different conferences, and and in Mizzou is like one of these programs that, I again, it's the best journalism school in the country. It's a fantastic basketball school. They have a lot more football tradition than a lot of people will ever give them credit for. And but they they've become the guys on the outside looking in. Without the Longhorn Network, Mizzou and A and M are not playing in this game. This game that has no. huge implications. And we're going to get to a later later with the uh, what would have happened if the result was flipped. But I'm just going to give you a little teaser right now. You're not going to like it. You're I'm not. not like oh, it. boy. You're not. We'll get um, to it later. Before we do that, let's take a quick, quick break and tell you about our friends at BetOnline. Get on over to BetOnline.ag immediately, if not sooner. There's stuff to bet on this week, Hunter. We've got um, UFC fights. We got Korean baseball going on right now, okay? Team Samsung, I don't know their I don't know their mascot. They're 0-3. It's been a tough time for me, okay? I gotta ease back into the sports betting. But regardless, at least the sports betting is there. Get on over to betonline.ag today. Set up an account, gamble on some sports, gamble on some table tennis, whatever you want to do, or do what I've been doing. Make some extra money over there on the poker tables. Uh, they got a full casino. You can play a little craps. If you want to play some craps, play some craps. Get on over to betonline.ag. They got all of it for you today. So make sure you do that, uh, like I said, immediately, if not sooner. Let's get back into the game. 
you're waiting on me to give you a reaction for craps. And I was. I was really excited. I thought you were going to say something. You didn't. I no, craps I didn't. So much. Uh, you know I don't know how to play craps yet. Still trying to figure that out. I don't know how to play craps yet, man. You just you just put six, eight, and nine. That's all you got to do. Nice. Um, all right. The cast. The directors. Gary Pinkle. Someone who, uh, over the course of time in the SEC, maybe in all of college football, what he did at Mizzou kind of been forgotten uh, yeah. a little bit to a certain extent had really, really showed during his time, his, his, you know, final years in the big 12 that he was turning Mizzou around kind of a rarity for how we talk about coaches th- in this day and age, mm-hmm. really, really rare to see a coach last longer than a decade at a specific program, but was Mizzou's guy. Conference. Yes. Very, very true. But not, not an easy thing to do to be able to yeah. survive 10 years in the SEC. Go ask Steve Spurrier about that. Um, very easy to write this program off after the five-win season and kind of fed into this nobody-believes-in-us type of mindset. As I said earlier, average 9.3 wins per year, though, from 2006-2011. He had this surprising announcement in 2015 about the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and I just remember thinking, well, that sucks for Mizzou yeah. big time. I mean, that is a, a really, really tough loss to have to deal with when – I'm not sure that at, at, at a place like that that they're going to be able to get some big-name coach. And if you remember kind of the fallout of what happened with the protests on campus and stuff. Immediately just after, a, or immediately before this. Yeah, just a, a messy year 2015 was for Mizzou. And it sort of changed the landscape. And Gary Pinkle, when he was at Mizzou, you thought about that program in a different light. It's it's too bad that things kind of had to end the way that they did. Yeah. Because maybe maybe that contributes to how we talk about him now. I mean, Connor. Yes, I've never been more proud of something you've said on this podcast. Like that. That's yeah. And because again, I think that like it it just does them a disservice of how we do talk about them. But yeah, this was this whole thing was really bizarre because they also had like a pretty bad season in 2015. Didn't live up to expectations. All that kind of stuff. So. There was already some like kind of like some some rumblings of, amongst of like I guess like boosters and all that kind of stuff that he was going to be out the door, and then you have everything else that's going on at the time with the protests and stuff like that. And I'm I'm not, I'm not going to get into the protests because isn't it, it weird was, though how how like Mizzou and South Carolina once their coaches had surprising decisions to, to mm-hmm. step down. And some people would say that they saw Spurrier's decision coming. But yeah. if you consider where they're at to start off 2014 and where Mizzou was at winning the division in 2014, it's kind of amazing to look at Mizzou and South Carolina and where mm-hmm. they were at in 2013, 2014, and then how quickly it changed for them and yeah. how, how much of a struggle that's been to get back to that level since that point. It's just not an easy thing to do in the SEC. No, it's not. And it, what sucks about it is that it, this this whole conference, and I think in college football in general, there's a level of greed, I think, that's like, that we kind of, I don't know, that's, that we kind of like breed this because of our keeping up with the Joneses mentality of like, well, that that school's doing this. And, I, and I, I'm not just trying to say this because it's the team I'm a fan of, but like Saban's really done this to a lot of schools. I think like what Dabo's done at Clemson has done this to a lot of schools. And this kind of very quick success, this this in like in a lot of it, has kind of bred this mentality of like, all right, well, if they don't do it in three years, they got to be out. And and kind of having time to develop a program, kind of build a culture, is kind of lost by the wayside. And that's not necessarily what happened with Gary Pinkle here, because of the fact that you know he was there, like we said, for about eight years. But at the same time, there is there is a level of all right, well, if you're not doing it as well as this guy, you got to go. 
And, and, and for a program like that, he did not get enough credit, in my opinion. Pinkle and Spurrier both got time. They got time to be able to, to build it up, and they, they yeah. followed a, a much different path than, than we're used to seeing. And it took a bit, but they – and you know what? Not every program has to do that, and with the money that's at stake now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that programs have to sit there in year six, year seven, and say, all right, I'm going to trust you to figure it out because yeah. the stakes are different now than it was in the early to mid-2000s. But Mizzou sticking with with Pinkle as their guy when I think he had like a really bad year three, year four. Really when really yeah, he had a bad DUI. He didn't have that bad of a mugshot, though. His mugshot could have been much worse. You know why? Because Pinkle, again, this is another reason why I don't think they got enough credit in the SEC. Big wine guy. Him and Tony mm. LaRusso, big wine guy. So he got his DUI from Ugh, just having Tony little LaRusso. wine teeth. Oh, Tony LaRusso sucks. I, I hate to give you too many no. anti cardinal takes here, but not you know, a fan both, of that. Both being. of your fan bases are really good baseball fans, and it blows my mind that you guys hate each other so much because you shouldn't, and it's so stupid. Hey, they're the smartest fans in sports. Let's hear more. They about are. That. No, they're not. Um, <laughs> Kevin Sumlin. We've talked about him before. We talked about him a little bit with the uh, 2012 A&M-Bama game that we did. The interesting thing about Sumlin in this game, and if you follow the ticker and saw more than just the kick six news, was that in year two, this is the regular season finale of yeah. year two, that day he had agreed to this new six-year deal. Why did oh, he agree yeah. to a new six-year deal, you ask? USC was reportedly interested. Yep. The Texans, the Houston Texans of the NFL, were reportedly interested in Kevin Sumlin, and it prompted AM, despite the fact that they were in the midst of, let's be honest, kind of a disappointing season. I mean, this was their fourth oh, loss of the, of the year. And I realized they only had three losses at the time when they had agreed to this, and they had suffered two close losses early in the year. But coming off of the game that they had against LSU, where they had just gotten waxed, really for yep. the first time in the Manziel era, and I don't know if that prompted maybe more people to like think that they could swoop in and get someone or something like that for you know cheaper on the dollar. Yeah. But for whatever reason, AM decided that that was the time that they wanted to give Kevin someone this new six-year deal. And I think the, the buyout, the $10 million buyout was part of that where they had to pay that lump sum. I'm pretty sure if that wasn't renegotiated in 2013 when this came out, it was... This w- this was certainly a product that pushed them at least in that direction. Yeah. I, I, so, and and my thing is this, I, and I'll I'll say this forever. I don't care if you're Nick Saban. I don't care if you're, I don't know, Jesus Brett Christ. Dilma, Jesus. Honestly, yeah. If you're Jesus Christ, that's that's a better way to put it. If USC offers you a job to coach, you just go to USC. I mean, just flat out go to USC. And and you're right. This all happened, and partially because of that, because. USC was knocking on the door, and he had two really good, really good seasons because he had Manziel. I don't think he knew the window was closing, but it does yeah. go to show you like how how fleeting these moments can be in college football, and especially when like you had a generational, you got a generational quarterback, like a like a once in a lifetime quarterback. When's a Heisman? Is a freshman, first one ever to do it. You got Cliff Kingsbury as your OC the first year, which that's my. But I'll, I'll just go ahead and ruin my, my thing I, for, I forgot until rewatching this was that Cliff Kingsbury and Johnny Manziel were on the same campus at the same time, which is just unfair. We've done, Sorry, we, no, not th- I mean, he was gone this year. He was only no, know, one year saying, that he was there. I know, the year before. Yeah. Um, but We did that last time, though. We, we, we did, like, the in-depth Kingsbury, you know, his sideline reactions and Incredible how he was did. probably – and my theory, my theory has always been that he had more of a hand in that offense than Kevin Sumlin. And yeah. Kevin Sumlin was kind of the guy who was getting a lot of credit for it. But 
you kind of realize, and even watching this game back, if it was someone who had the the bigger um, the bigger hand in the play calling than uh, Jake uh, Spivottle, I think that was yeah. the yeah the OCU took over. But the ingenuity was not there, and no. maybe part of that was related to Manziel's health. We'll get to that. But someone still, I give him credit for cashing in. His his team was still before that LSU game was a top ten team late in November, despite the fact that as what became the norm for a and yep. the team went 4-4 four and four in SEC play. So, yeah, and, and I, I remember at one point, it might have been SDS that reported it, but this is before I started working for him, is, is that I remember there was, I forgot the record, but it was, wasn't it like towards the end of his career, it was like 2-14 and 14 or something like that in November or something oh, crazy. It was like, oh, man, like how do y'all, how do you do this? Just set it's like me and fourth and wrong. Point. I mean, uh, it's not Marler. Just, I mean, just <laughs> falling apart late. Anyway. The A-listers. Let's start on the Mizzou side of the ball. There's a lot of first-team guys, all first-team All-SEC guys that we won't get to in this discussion. Jake yeah. Matthews, who we talked about before. EJ Gaines. Not going to spend a ton of time on EJ him. EJ Gaines. And Coney, Coney Ely as well. James Franklin, the Mizzou quarterback, who had four years in the system and – had had his when he was healthy, he was looking good, and he had you know moment a moment in the middle of the year where he had separated his shoulder, yep. so he Maddie that Mock. kind of allowed for Maddie Mock to come along and start playing more. But James Franklin in this game was still a, a veteran and somebody who was trusted a lot to make to make big plays. I don't want to say that he was like this player athletically. He's not. Oh God, he's not. He's not. Let that be known. He is not on this skill level at all. There were some Cam Newton-like tendencies with some of the things that he would do or some of the things that he would try and do in this game. Not to that success level, not saying yep. that. But when he, the way he kind of moved, I was like, that is a little Newton-esque. Now, he didn't do the Newton things in the open field. Just the, yeah. the backfield thing when he would kind of call his own number and what it looked like to try and tackle him because he was a big dude. I mean, he's 6'2", 6'3", 230, something like that. And Newton was a little bit bigger, but... You know, I don't want to say poor man's version of Cam, but yeah. for Mizzou, I mean, he he didn't have that kind of impact, but he definitely was somebody who was asked to do a variety of things, and they trusted him yeah. to have the ball in his hands. So I said this to Adam Spinch the other day because we were talking about he he was fighting with Vol Twitter. It's just a theme for the week. On uh, oh Adam, this take was not his best. This I disagree. Take was not his best. So he brought up the thing about Peyton Manning. And he was talking about Chase Daniel versus Peyton Manning. Chase Daniel's numbers are better than Peyton Manning's. Yep. And I get they played in different leagues and all that kind of stuff. Different eras, but too. Different eras, too. But Chase, yeah, but we've also gone over how many pass attempts that Peyton Manning had the year he should have won the Heisman. Sure, sure. But, like, the thing with Chase Daniel is, I think, the, the way that Missouri ran this offense, it was... Very frustrating the way they would they would try to run the football, especially me and Jeff used to talk about this all the time, and it'd be like it's these big sweeping jet sweeps where they bring somebody out wide in motion and then try to have this very long delayed handoff. And, and one of the things I think they had to learn early on in the SEC, as much credit as I've given them, one thing that they did not understand is this these long reads, like these very time consuming reads where they would they would. That wasn't going to play in the SEC. <laughs> it's just not going to play when you have a DN who's running like a 4-7. They didn't have the speed to be able to make that play, whereas a right. team like Florida with Urban Meyer in the early to mid-2000s yeah. could make that work. Well, and I think I honestly think this team did with guys like Marcus Murphy and, and, the, and the running style of Henry Josie. But also at the same time, 
they would they would get in these really weird wide splits on the offensive line where the, like the offensive line would be like two yards apart from each other like the, the offensive lineman it was really bizarre and and, and <laughs> I, just, I, I just remember they would do this and you'd see guys like Marcel Darius and uh, give me somebody else like Jarvis Jones and like all these other guys and you're like what are you not Marcel Darius because they weren't in the, the thing at the same time but it was like what are you doing like stop doing this like they're obviously going to shoot right up through this gap so one of the things they did though in this offense it was a very intricate offense and I, and I, I agree with Adam on this the fact that Chase Daniel and James Franklin I think are the two most un, this is a hot take here Connor the two most underrated quarterbacks at any major FBS or any major power five school in the country all time I think I think what Chase Daniel did and what James Franklin did in this offense, and maybe just because we discount Missouri, I think are the, the most underrated jobs at quarterback I've ever seen. Chase Daniel was darn good. He was darn good. There are people <laughs> nobody really, in that offense as well as him, man. There are people who really didn't like him in the state of Nebraska. I know that a couple of my Nebraska friends Why? will say, "We'll tell you." Um, he had Is made he from there. No, he's not from there. I think he's from Texas. Is he from Texas? I want to say oh is. wasn't chase daniel the guy chase daniel was the guy who was at south lake carroll before greg mcelroy he started three years ahead of greg mcelroy yeah that would make sense that would make sense i think he made some sort of guarantee before a nebraska game and then just like nebraska ended up beating him in this game or something like that but anyway long story short yeah they've had these underappreciated guys before and james franklin's kind of one of them i mean maybe yeah. because he only had like the one good year in the sec and he was kind of you know split in terms of when he was good in the big 12 and um they were obviously weren't as good in their first year in the sec in 2012 but somebody who they needed in a game like this and they they felt comfortable with him having the ball yeah one of the guys he was throwing the ball to and this is somebody that we've we've talked about briefly on the podcast before we're going to go a little bit more in depth on him than we ever have dorio green beckham oh, dgb man number one recruit. dgb <laughs> uh not really not really um number one recruit in 2012 he was the number eight recruit all time he still is in the 24 7 sports recruiting rankings era isn't that insane number like, eight all time of everyone of everyone of wow. every, no, 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 no. He's Mizzou's number one recruit of all time. Like, yeah. not even close. Well, uh, I, I, well it's got to be close. Number one, he's number one. Mizzou's never had the number one recruit in the country. No, but they've had five stars. They had who's the kid? The, they've the, had five stars, not the number the, one recruit. Who's the no? But they had they had one that was like top two or three. The the defensive tackle that used to return punts. It's like I'll look it up. Go ahead, keep talking. Doyle Green Beckham comes to Mizzou as a, a local kid who just has sky-high expectations, and understandably yeah. so. F- showed flashes of it as a freshman, but starts to really kind of come into his own a- as a sophomore in this offense and was just such a lethal red zone target. I mean, dude. at that size, 6'6", six, six, six. like, dude was practically a tight end. I mean, let's let's kind of call it what it is. Re- big red zone guy, 12 touchdown catches, um, in, in that 2013 season, second team, all SEC, the way that he kind of would go over the top on, like he did on that first touchdown catch of this game. Yeah. That, that was the stuff where you're like, okay, this kid is just that, that's the different kind of talent. He, the way that he moves at that size is so impressive. And to be honest, that's what prevented him from being considered a tight end as opposed to a receiver when you just want to line him up outside and see what he can do. Yeah, Sheldon Richardson is who I'm thinking of. 
And he, Sheldon Richardson was on the 2012 team yeah. and then was one of their key departures going into 2013. You don't remember this, but he, he went back in the, in the U.S. Army All-American game and returned a kick. Like, Boss. <laughs> he's like six, hold on, he's 6'4", 290, and he went back and returned a kick. I, yeah, was really, but you're right. I didn't realize, I didn't realize DGB was number one overall. I, number one that's overall. That's crazy. Wow. You knew, though, at the time that he was troubled already by that yeah. point because he had the drug suspension in the middle of his freshman year. And this this was actually his last regular season game at Mizzou, which is kind of crazy to think about, too, because he went to Oklahoma after this oh, and basically that. just did that because he was going to have to – he had to sit out a year because of NCAA transfer rules. But basically sat out a year and then declared for the NFL draft and was just on the scout team there. How bad of shape – do you think you really got for him in order to be kicked off of Mizzou at a place that I know that they, you know, they're an academic institution. They value that highly, but kid from St. Louis, five-star kid, such a rare type of recruit for that program to be able to get. And for them not to find a way to, for it to work, he had to have had even more legal issues than we even knew about. I, yeah, I get that. But at the same time, I, I that's that's a it's a program that like didn't really like they don't, I don't think they really put up with a lot of stuff like that. And at this time, well, this is well before the uh, the protest, but I, I don't I don't know I don't know if, like if it was any other SEC school, and maybe this is just me being naive, and it honestly very well could be. I, I would agree with you, but I don't I don't I don't know. I feel like they they're above the board on a lot of stuff, right? I don't think I mean, the backup just... quarterback was dealing cocaine. So it's like I mean. Maybe allegedly, you're right. according to that video, yeah. Not allegedly. He was a thousand yeah, yeah, yeah. percent doing that. <laughs> so. the, the tough thing, though, with with thinking about that, because you, you see the talent on display, that's not yeah. to say that that, ta- that talent is worth covering everything up for, but I can't imagine that he was just failing drug tests for weed. I can't imagine that no. was the only thing. There's, there's just... There's got to be, there's, there's be more to it than we probably even realized at the time, and... That's the tough thing to look back on his career because he was good. He was good. You can't teach some of those skills that he had. Yeah. Michael Sam, somebody who unfortunately became, in a way, like Tebow 2.0 just because of the fact that he was a lightning rod for conversation, and he turned into this poster child for the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. And people, more so than getting sick of Michael Sam himself, got sick of the Michael Sam coverage, which was the case with Tebow. It was for like a solid year, everything that he did was was seen through a microscope. And it's too bad because what did that overshadow? The fact that he was so good. He was so good in 2013. And it's like, it's a bummer that somebody whose career was... I mean, just one of the, one of the maybe underappreciated on-field guys, SEC Defensive Player of the Year, and ends up not being drafted until the sixth round. And obviously, his sexuality was a big pre-draft story. That's when all this stuff kind of came out. He had told you his imagine teammates if it before, happened this year. My man. God, Trey Wingo. I, you know, maybe we need to go back and see. Actually, I don't because I remember it being like, it, it's weird when you say the Tebow thing because of just the nature of what we know. Um, like the, the the two differences, just they, the attention, yeah, yeah, and you're and you're a thousand percent right about that. But I mean, yeah, it like <laughs> I can't imagine like this year how they would have been like, you know. And another thing about Michael Sam, just say he's good at football, man. He was a really good football player. 
and I get why he was seen as this um, th- this person who kind of transcended sports in a way mm-hmm. because this is still such a very new thing at, at the time. And I get why activists uh, on that side were going to want to come out and support him because yeah. this was somebody who was you know, was was in the national spotlight. It wasn't just like he was some guy who was, you know, sitting there on the end of the bench and he comes out of the closet. This is somebody who had a, had a national following to that point. And for him to, to come out, it was yeah. seen as this, this thing that everybody wanted to cover. And that was at a time when I think ESPN had a, a serious misstep in the mid part of, of the decade in terms of their coverage and what they were looking for were not to go Clay Travis, not to go Clay Travis, no, no, but but trying to be the the woke sports, yeah, you know, sports center when people weren't looking for that. And like I like Michael Sam, yeah. like what he, you know, like I like being able to watch him on the field and stuff like that. But it got to a point where anytime you see him on the TV, you're just like I'm flipping the channel right now. Yeah, I'm sick I'm of talking it. about this yeah. over it. I don't think it's I think it's probably the worst kept secret in the world on this podcast that I'm pretty liberal and I. I completely agree with you. Like watching it, it was like I mean, because and, and this is partially because of somebody that watched watched it happen in the SEC. Is there was such there were so many better storylines from this kid. Like I mean, they, yeah. like well, I mean, and I get that that is like the most sensational of of the storylines, but it's like, dude, this guy he had double digit sacks. He, I mean, he was the he was the the guy on that on that team. Like not and not just and you know it was really the the only cool thing about it not the only cool thing about it but like one of the cool things about it is his team knew his team knew he, the entire season yeah his team knew the entire effing season I got goosebumps right now his team knew the entire effing season which is really cool and shows you how close knit that group was where it didn't come out and this is like in an age when like you know on the adverse side of that you see Johnny Mansell like Twitter and like you know just stuff popping off all the time and stuff coming out this was this was really interesting I just. I completely agree with you, though, and it's it was one of the first examples of where ESPN can tend to go wrong in terms of their coverage of, of how they were they were building a narrative about about a player. A misstep, a misstep, definite yeah. misstep. Speaking of Johnny Mansell, different way that we're talking about him at this point of his career, where Kirk Herbstreit says on the broadcast he hinted several times, and you know what I bet happened was everybody in that A and M building was telling Her- Herbie like, look. This kid's gone. This he's yeah. not sticking around after this year. Not just because of the tweet in the off season about how he couldn't leave to leave College Station, all that stuff. They knew that he was going to be out out the door at that point. Yeah. Year two as a starter, though, and he's not playing the game with the same sort of joy that he had played it with the year before. And maybe part part of that was because he had this thumb injury, and it's not like he's competing for the Heisman Trophy in the same way or a yeah. national championship. And maybe just the grind of what he kind of went through in the last 365 days, much of which was self-induced, just yeah. kind of got to him. I noticed a very, very different Johnny Manziel in this game than the one yeah. that we, you know, the one that we covered a month ago. It was, I think the best way to put it is like it was, it was like a joyless person. Like he, he wasn't, he was not having the same amount of fun that he that he had the year before. And you know, I don't know if that's. I don't know why that is. I'm sure that he had reasons, but it was, was very a, upsetting. You remember, watch. like after the 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 famous, what's the name of the the play against Alabama? I mean, it's just kind know, of the play I don't that think he's known for. I think just he did it. <laughs> but you remember after <laughs> we that didn't play, do a painting about that one. <laughs> you you remember after that where he he goes up to to Cliff Kingsbury and he does like the side jump and yeah. he is fired up. Yeah. 
You watch him even after the touchdowns that he scores in this game. And I don't know if it's just because it's a cold night at Mizzou or something like that, but it's like a single fist pump. And he's like, it's almost like relief when yeah. he scores a touchdown. And you see him, he he's old. ripping into teammates. Yeah, I mean, he just looks looks older. And it looks like what he's gone through is just changing the way that he thinks about football. And maybe yeah. that's looking too far into it. But I, I definitely picked up on that after watching how noticeably different it was even in the good moments in this game. Yeah. I think so for me it with him especially it's it's t- I don't know. Like it's tough to I he's such a complicated person so I don't want to like get too into his like psyche or whatever. Um but there is a noticeable difference. And 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 part of that is because you look at the season before there were no expectations. Like he, that was a like a rags to riches worst to first type deal even though they weren't the worst, but you know what I'm saying? Like there, there, there's there's no expectations. He was able to shock the world. This year, he had the weight of, like, the world like on him, it seemed like. You know what I mean? It just wasn't the same. I think he still wanted to finish his career on a good note. And what he yeah. did against Duke in that bowl game, Capital One, that's a fun one to go back and watch just because of the, the comeback and all the points that were scored in that game. But, and he still does flash moments. He still flashes yeah. moments in this game where you see him escape pressure and he steps up in the pocket and he can just deliver some dimes. I mean, the skill is is still absolutely there. You still see that, just not in the same way that we were, you know, we were watching a year earlier. I I told Allie this this morning. We were I was watching the I watched like the full one the other day and I wanted to watch like the brief one today and it we were like like the fifteen minute eighteen minute one. You know? Yeah. So we're like watching that and. Uh, First off, shout out to Allie, because she was like, ooh. And I was like, what? And she made this like really weird noise. I was like, what was that? And she was like, the college football theme song. And I was like, yep. go on. Yep. <laughs> it's our first <laughs> dance, baby. Um, so, but, but this, like, this thing with, I remember like Manziel. So I had to work New Year's Day that that year at Houston's. And I remember being so pissed, because there was like, some girl was late. And it was obviously that, like, everyone wanted to go out the night before. Nobody wanted to be there on New Year's Day. And it was just the whole thing. And this girl comes in, she's like wearing like sunglasses and just like obviously hungover. And, and we're, but we're all having to be there, so I'm like pissed. Like, I get it. If anybody gets being hungover, it's me, but I was like, come on, like, we're all having to be here. And she's like, I just was like out until like five in the morning with some football players. And I was like, what? And I'm like instantly trying to think, like, oh, the Peach Bowl was in town. What's she talking about? And she was like a pretty girl. <laughs> and she goes, she's like, Chris, you like football? Some guy named like Johnny Manziel. And I was like, shut up. Up, there's no way you were out with Johnny Manziel, and she pulls out her phone. She's just chilling at Waffle House off Lindbergh with Johnny Manziel, and I was like, God, dang it! You can do anything you set your mind to if you're pretty. Johnny Manziel, do you think that he even after I get yeah, he's in Atlanta. Never mind. Okay. Yeah. I was gonna say, is Johnny Manziel time went on pretty good even after the Capital One Bowl or the Peach Bowl? My bad. Yeah, I mean. I can tell you firsthand, not firsthand, but secondhand from a firsthand account, he definitely did. He definitely did. That game ended at like 11.30. He was just like, let's go. When when in Atlanta, they always say. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Mike Evans had really come into his own by this point. As a redshirt sophomore, he was well-established as one of the top NFL draft prospects. But... In this game, with EJ Gaines draped all over him, he did nothing. Four catches for eight yards. And part of that was because Manziel couldn't really stretch the field in the way that we're used to seeing him do. The thumb injury might have played a part. But EJ Gaines, man, 
there was no no room to be found for Mike yeah. Evans. Very rare to watch him struggle like that. This defense was like, this is what I kept saying earlier. It's like like you, you Michael Sam was the guy, but this defense and this offense were really legit, man. It wasn't it wasn't like you would think that on a team like this and a way that this team is like remembered, it would be like, well, Michael Sam took over and had, you know, a thousand sacks or DGB had a thousand yards receiving. No, man, there was talent all over the place. EJ Gates, like, I mean, Coney Ely was on this team. <laughs> Coney Ely, Shane Ray, and Michael Sam were on the same defensive line. Shane Ray wasn't even that good in this game. No, he wasn't. No. He wasn't. This year. <laughs> the breakout performance. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. The breakout performance. I only have one. Uh, I hate for you this. so much for this. I knew you, I knew as soon as I saw this kid and he was wearing the same effing number, you were gonna do this. Travis Labhart. <laughs> Ryan Swope 2.0. No, he's not. He's very, very different physically. Same number, right? I don't think it was. I don't think it was. He wasn't 25. He wasn't 25. There was I'm a white sure. receiver wearing number 25. Uh, I don't think that was. I don't think that was Travis Lapart. Had a team high 81 receiving yards in this game. If you if you if you're wondering why that name sounds familiar and you didn't consume any sort of AM football in 2013 alone season that he played there. You might remember him from Hard Knocks. Uh, tried to he, his story was kind of chronicled when he was with Houston Texans, and they kind of followed his journey up until when he got cut by the team. Yeah. Um, but he was the guy who actually went off in the in the Chick Fil A Bowl. He had three touchdowns in that game. Cool backstory too. Former walk on kid. Brent was talking about that um, on the broadcast. He was cut from the basketball team, and then he's like. I think it was his high school coach or something, said, why don't you go try and play football? You're always really good at football. You should definitely try and do that. And then, I mean, he becomes Johnny Manziel's go-to target in this game with Mike Evans unable to, to do anything. And, you know, built for this game in which AM doesn't have Malcolm Kennedy and Manziel's doing all of these short throws, kind of was the guy who just always found a way to get open. Yeah, he's number 15. So not 25. 15 is yeah. acceptable. You can have That's a number close. in the teens. That is frustrating uh, for he you. He looks like a he looks like a young Blake Shelton. He looks awful. No. Yes. No. I'll post a picture of it today. <laughs> I know I know what Travis Lambert looks like. No, he's not Blake Shelton. He doesn't have the flow that Blake Shelton does. Oh man. All right, keep going. Yeah. All right, prominent extras. We just talked about him before. Shane Ray, the Mizzou linebacker, who was really good in 2014, but in 2013, eh, not there yet. Not on that level. Not great, Bob. Didn't have any tackles. Yeah, he he was he was banged up in this game too. He collided into his own guy in the first quarter, and I think he came back. He came back in shortly thereafter. But his most notable moment in this game was a running into the kicker penalty. So. Not great. Yeah, oh, it was a punter, punt early first, on. Yeah, yeah, it was early on too, and, and it was weird too because like, I, that, and that's whatever. We'll talk about it in a second. But that was like my least. It was like the worst take or whatever for me because of something that, that Musburger said. But that was weird too because it ended up giving them a fourth and one they went for anyway. Doesn't matter. Matty Mock, the Mizzou quarterback who became known for something off the field that we've discussed before listen don't really it is to... hard to get a job as a as a college athlete i've said it before several times you can only make a certain amount of money you can only work 12 hours a week this man dabbling in <laughs> in the truck world was just you know it, it takes confidence connor and that's something you we should tip the cap tip the cap tip the cap to the drug dealer all right <laughs> said by marler 
<laughs> Mizzou, it seemed like Mizzou was trying to keep him happy a little bit with some of the yeah. rotational stuff that they were doing with him. Not that inventive, but brought him in essentially for like a series and then kind of rotated him out because he had played really well in the absence of James Franklin in the middle of the season and went three and yeah. one, but only had three plays in this game, became a, a much better player and, and more significant contrib- contributor for Mizzou's 2014 division title team than he was in 2013. But somebody just has a, a brief moment in this game. You just sent me a picture of Travis Laphart. He's not Blake Shelton. Look okay, at his, a little, look a at tiny that smile. Bit. Yeah, a that's tiny what I thought. <laughs> All right, I can see that. Not hey, definitely man. doesn't have the flow. Doesn't have the flow. Chew tobacco, oh. chew tobacco, chew tobacco, spit. Worst song ever. Anyway, moving on. Worst song ever. There is much worse than that. That's there true, is yeah. much. Blake Shelton, him, Blake Shelton himself has much worse than that. <laughs> Dude, anything Blake Shelton has had in the last four years has been really trash. Really yeah. bad. It's taken a severe turn. Yeah. Craig, anyway. Kulig- Craig Kuligowski, a.k.a. Coach Cool, the Mizzou defensive line coach who is kind of the, what's the right way to say this? Is it fair to call him a Dude, defensive he was the line man. guru? He was the yes, man. Yes, it is. He, he, was, like, he was responsible for so many incredibly talented people that no one gives him credit for. Like, well, yep. he, he doesn't get enough credit for. Like, if, if, this, was, if this was a D-line coach, this, is, this would be like the running back coach at Georgia if he was there forever. Yeah, like this guy had Musa Smith, and this guy had Thomas uh, Brown, and and Alden all Smith. these other guys. Yeah, like like it just wait, who'd you say? Alden Smith. Oh, I thought you said Emmett Smith. I was like, no, no. yeah. Um, who's the and, and I should know this because I met him at the at the twenty fifteen SEC championship game, and I was hammered, and so was he. Um, white dude that played defensive lineman, I think for the Niners for years, had a Budweiser tat. On his Kale own. Garrett. No, that's no, it. no. It's like J- Jason. It's like something Williams. Jason Williams. Not Jason know. Williams. He played basketball for Duke. Yeah. Uh, the other Jason Williams killed the guy. Um, also, was yeah, in, it wasn't him. Um, uh, I think I know. Uh, was it Justin Smith? Yes, that's exactly who it is. Oh, okay. Yeah, everybody knows Justin Smith. Um, but Craig Kuligowski is this guy who doesn't get any any sort of screen time or anything like that, but. It was, it's, following his career, it's been a big deal kind of wherever he's gone. When he went to Miami right. and joined, yeah. uh, joined forces with Mark Rick, that was, that was huge at the time. When he, when Miami, when Alabama poached him from Miami in 2018, that was a big deal. Spent 2019 um, laying low, and he's, at, he's actually at Toledo now. He's a co defensive coordinator. I reached out to him because uh, follow him and vice versa on Twitter. Yeah. And um, he follows him on Twitter? Yeah, I don't know why. I have no idea why. But uh, I, I exchanged some DM messages with him. He told me that they actually basically had like the same exact game plan against AM in 2012. Did not have the bodies to execute it. They were pretty yeah. banged up in 2012. It's like one year we helped Manziel win the Heisman because it was the regular season finale. And then the other year they come out firing and they clinch the East as a result yeah. of containing Manziel. So it was just a just a really fun night for, for his program. And think about what that guy has been working toward for, for such a long time. And to see his defensive line and Michael Sam winning SEC Defensive yeah. Player of the Year, that had to be a really, really big moment in the course of his career. Um, let me give you some other ones. Henry Josie, Trey Carson. A little more Henry Josie later, too. Yeah. Um, Henry Josie, Trey Carson, uh, Bud Sasser. Like... Now hold on, I'm forgetting his name. I already said it earlier. Who was number two? Oh, uh, Lada- was it Ladamian? No, Ladamian Washington? Washington's another one. That yep. is Lada- that was number two. That's not who I'm thinking of. Who was the punt returner? And and 
And all I can think of is, is and I know this is not his name, and it's going to piss off Mizzou fans, and I hate to, I hate to do it, but all I can think of is Mark Keith and Marcus Morris. It's 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 the punt return. Think the, of all the people to say, you have to pick like a Kansas villain. I, that's what I'm saying. I, they're the worst. <laughs> I hated them. I hate Kansas. They're about to be in so much trouble. Um, no, he was the punt returner. Hold on, Mizzou punt returner. Twenty. This is fun, guys. It's in real time. Um, Marcus Murphy. There we go. Yeah. That, I mean, again, this team don't give them enough credit. Uh, no one talks about the injuries, but they had so many really good players that were. That were like you said earlier, all SEC caliber players that people just for whatever reason have kind of forgotten about. So this is true. This is true. The story arc, favorite line from the broadcast. Oh, that's good. The very first line. You are looking live from Faroe Field in Columbia, Missouri. Pretty Give, good Musburger there. Thank you. Give me Brent right. Now, I, he can call Korean baseball. Dude. He can call darts. I don't care. Give me Brent. When I heard those opening words, I was like, I'm in a happy place. Yeah. As long as I am locked in watching this, knowing that Brent is just going to be there. We haven't done any games for it just meant more with Brent until right now. If I'm not yeah. mistaken, right? This was the first well, one. He, he wasn't allowed to be on a lot of games after that AJ McCarron thing. So it's like. No, a lot a lot of the games we picked have been CBS games. Yes. That's honestly why. Um yeah, so my favorite line from the broadcast when he was like, My God, if you're a young quarterback in Alabama, I mean you just go look, whoo, she is. No, I'm it's kidding. Not that game. <laughs> not that game. Um, we should do that game though. Uh my so my favorite line from the broadcast is at the very end, he says They've warned the fans to stay off the field. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was such, it was said in such, like jest, and it was so funny. And 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 because you know what's weird about this is, he's with Herb Street, which is yeah. like, it's two icons, and and, but it never, it never felt like those two should do games together. For me, it it, it was like they're both great in their own individual aspect. Herb Street is fantastic. With Fowler, we all know that. Musburger is fantastic in general. He's been great, like, through the years, too, man. It, it's either, You know what's funny? Real quick, let me get on a tangent here. I've been watching, like, like they showed, like, the old Braves World Series, and they've shown some other stuff I've seen from, like, the 80s, like, basketball games that you've seen, like, the, the Jordan doc. Hearing Vern Lundquist's voice doing the Pistons-Bulls game, like, conference finals game on CBS from back in the day, or hearing, like, Musburger do these games from, like, the 80s, it's crazy how many things they covered. Um, that being said, Marv Albert was still, I mean, Marv Albert's the goat in terms of basketball. Analysis. Oh yeah. Without I mean, a doubt. He's the but, voice like, of my childhood. That's yeah. It's totally fair. It's like, well, that's when NBC took over most of those games too. But like yeah. the fact that CBS was short, CBS had the world series. Like what? Random. Um, anyway, so, uh, Musburger in general is great, but him and <laughs> him and Herb Street, and I hate to say this, they had so much more of a uncomfortable drunk uncle type of vibe that it was like like Herb Street viewed Musburger like like the stuff he was saying it was like edge of your seat he's gonna say something messed up here and and I just I I I, I loved every minute of it man it was it was really really funny they they worked a lot together during yeah. that time and they did national championships together as well but I don't think of them as this all-time duo for whatever reason and both both i think are tremendous at their jobs and i think i think herbie as a color guy is really really good and he can break things down in real time that just kind of blows me away sometimes but i don't think of them 
as this this iconic duo and maybe part of that is just because the the duo that we that we know in the sec so well Vern and gary yeah. has just become so synonymous even though obviously like we'll take herbie over gary any day of the week we'll any day and we'll probably like to be honest if we're talking about who's a better actual announcer i mean yeah. brent is better than Vern. i mean that's not that's an indisputable thing you might like listening to Vern a little bit better and he's going to kind of entertain you in a yeah. different way but Brent is better at his job than Vern is. I, I don't think he is. Yeah, well, with football especially. With football especially. Yeah. But I did find myself being like, ah, you know. CBS. you got to wonder if he's got a chemical on balance with uh, what's going on. I need that comic relief. Need that comic yeah. relief. The coldest take from the broadcast, also in the first minute of I the broadcast. You. I'm sorry, I have to, I have to say this. Mizzou fans showed up to the stadium holding up signs that said, we want Bama. They had to cross they them out. They, play them, yeah. they had to cross them out and instead put them to. They had to change it to Auburn because this was just minutes after the kick six had happened. I, I have you have to know that while you're watching this game because Mizzou, in terms of the things that could have gone right on this night, they hit. They all hit. They hit the they hit the parlay of things that could have gone right. And I don't know what it was in real time. But it couldn't have been more than than a few minutes, and like maybe maybe it, less than a half hour removed from the kick six happening to when this game started, and I'm sure it changed how Brent had to be able to pivot and Herbie as well to know like what they were talking about. I'm sure they had a ton of notes yeah. prepared for Bama, and then all of a sudden have to pivot and be like, oh well, actually this is potentially going to be a game of two teams that nobody thought would be anywhere near the SEC no. championship. Yeah, all right, cool, man. All cool. right, we'll move on, we'll so. move on. Uh, the Jadavian Clowney reminder that normal people don't play this game. Damian Washington, a guy that we just talked about. He catches this fade in the corner of the end zone that until you slow it down, you don't realize the body control. And it was it's one of those plays that when you watch it in real time, you're like, no, he didn't do that. There's no way that right. can be a real catch. And so I almost think like the officials just ruled it wasn't a catch because they're like, nah, that, that looked too good to be able to get a foot in bounds and to control the ball. And it was initially ruled incomplete. And then Washington kind of freaks out and he's like, no, 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 no. Like, go, go review this yeah, right, now. I just made it right a, now. I love it when guys do that when they know that they just made some insane play yeah. and they're like, all right, coach, like let's let's get a second look at that because I definitely caught that and rule a touchdown after the review. Very big, important play in the game. Allows Mizzou to take that twenty-one to fourteen lead. Um, well, it wasn't going to be the Andrew Baggett missed field goal because, as a Bama fan, that was you know it was nice to see somebody miss a field goal that went past the uprights into the stands that night. I will say that anytime you can miss a field goal and it goes out of the field of play, that's that's what we're going for. I'll say boss. that. Boss move, boss move. Wish we could do it. Wish inside jokes. Can't wait to be a part of one someday. <laughs> um, so. so my my uh no one play this this honestly wasn't like it wasn't even that spectacular it didn't even go for a first down but it was with nine minutes and 24 seconds to go in the third quarter on third and like 12 or something like that it was like a nine yard pass johnny Manziel drops back and and there's no one open and he kind of like flutters his feet is the only way i know how to say it to his right and you could tell it was like to set something up but he did it in this like very slow, deliberate way that you was like, he's going to get sacked. Like, what is he doing? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, just rolls back left, 
and across his body, hit somebody right on the sideline. I, I think it might have been Evans on the catch, and just like perfect catch inbounds. It's like to, like like you know what do you call it? Like toe tap. It was just it was like such good football. It was good coverage. It was good. It was it was a great job coming back to your quarterback as a receiver, rolling out like Manziel just did. So, he did so many things that were, and in this game he wasn't that sharp. Like he no he, he did, was not. He had a couple. He had one pass that I remember. <laughs> I got kind of pissed about because he was like rolling to his right. It's the first half. He's rolling. I think it might have been the first quarter. Rolling to his right, and then there's like they did such a good job of containing him on the D line, and and so then he he kind of just takes two steps back and off his back foot just heaves up a pass and it goes just out of bounds and I was like, see that kind of that kind of right there was exactly what happened the year before with with Bama would be like that would have been tipped somehow back in bounds they would have caught it and then and that would have been like the end of the game but anyway it was just it was a really impressive the stuff he did on the football field he made he made everyone else look like they were in slow motion and he did everything effortlessly there are very few quarterbacks who, when they're going to the opposite side of their, their throwing arm, you actually get more worried with what they're capable yeah. of doing. Pat Mahomes is one of those quarterbacks as well. When Even when he's going to his left, you're like, he is capable of making a, a, a ridiculous throw, and it doesn't really matter. He doesn't necessarily have to have his feet set. As long as he gets his shoulders square, he's going to be fine. Yeah, Manziel was so good at that. And even... I didn't pick on that, pick up on that as much watching the Bama game. I picked up on that more so watching this game, where mm -hmm. they were eager to get him out of the pocket. They didn't want him necessarily throwing in a situation where he could re-aggravate his thumb, and he's throwing it, you know, in the pocket as much as possible. And the, the goal after the week that he had just had against LSU, who LSU did such a great job containing him, keeping him in the pocket. Mizzou tried to do that as well. They wanted to get him on those situations where even if it was slow and deliberate, and he was going mm -hmm. across his body, it didn't really matter. But he was so good at making those throws and that's the thing that i thought would translate to the next level more so than it did and it just kind of didn't for whatever did reason yeah that's fair the trent richardson i can't believe they didn't make it in the nfl obvious obvious no doubter yes yeah, story yeah it's dgb still a second round pick despite the the disappointing college Bro, career six, six. that he had i get it i get it Guys have fallen in the draft before that have had less issues than DGB. Yeah. But you're right. He's 6'6", and he was given the opportunity. Then he got drafted by the, the, the Titans. Eagles? Oh, he got drafted Titans, by the Titans. And then the Eagles picked him up after the Titans cut him for after one year. Spent two years in the NFL. That's it. I mean, that's it. And I remember even when the Eagles picked him up, there was still hope. Like, hey, even though this guy's troubled and he's had off-field issues, if he gets right... Look out, because he is a physical freak and does things that you can't quite teach at yeah. the wide receiver position. It's it's a shame. It's a shame because that dude failed a lot of drug tests. We know that. Over under five and a half drug tests that he failed. Is that real? I mean, it's it's got to be. It's way over, it, but, right? But like, whatever. If it's weed, I don't care. I just, I mean, I don't. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> the frustrating. I know the that sounds thing bad. Is, that sounds bad by after I said tip of the cap to the drug dealer, which was obviously a joke. But yeah, I mean, I I, I agree. Maybe there was maybe there was an issue at Mizzou with Matty Mock. Shane Ray also failed multiple drug tests too. Kind of makes you wonder. Yeah, that was my that was my player that didn't turn out in the NFL because I knew you were gonna say DGB with good reason. So I, that was the second one I had. But uh, I mean, I, and honestly, Manziel, like Manziel, like I hate to say it, I think a lot of people that know the sport better than I do. And can scout and stuff like that. We're like, yeah, this isn't gonna play. 
But like, you know, I, I remember watching his combine and being like, he ran like a four six eight, and and I was like, well, that's that's interesting because he outruns way every, faster. Yep. Yeah, he outruns everyone on the field, and it's like, I, I think there's a difference in game speed and all that kind of stuff. But he, it it, it just blows my mind that there wasn't a place for him. But he did everything in his power to make sure there was not. Like he he just he did everything he could to sabotage himself. And I hate to say that, and like I'm not trying to ever pile on Johnny Menzel because I, I love Johnny Menzel. And, and like, listen, if if there's anybody that can, <laughs> there's, if there's anybody that could be like he was Joe Namath 2.0. He's Joe Namath with social media. And and like if if Johnny Menzel would have come around in the 60s, not just because of his athletic ability, if he would have been around in the 60s, there would have been a place for Johnny Menzel in the NFL. Oh, absolutely. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. It's interesting to think that, and correct me if I'm wrong here. You're wrong. <laughs> Despite all the talent in this game, there's there's a lot. This game wasn't that long ago. 2013, seven yeah. years ago. Not not that long ago. Six and a half years ago. I think there's only two guys from this game who are still doing things in the NFL, and it's EJ Gaines and Mike Evans. Yeah. Is Other Cody than that, Charles Harris... Was drafted in 2017, so he probably wasn't doing anything. Coney Ely's not anymore. I'm gonna have to look that up real quick. I want, I don't think he is. I don't think he is. I, I could be wrong. I could um, be wrong too. I'm not sure. But despite the fact that, yeah, I mean, he was uh, he was in the XFL in 2020. Yeah. Okay. Was last last played in the NFL in 2018. Yeah. I mean, a second round pick as well. Strange. Yeah. It's strange to see all the guys in this team who, man, if I was. Well, I was buying stock in a lot of these guys. I would have said for well, you sure. You can buy stocks in humans. So, I mean, that's a weird oh, thing, Connor. Yes, you can. It's 2020. <laughs> You're on fire today. Second time. Ooh. If I was drinking something, I would have spit that out. You guys, <laughs> if you, if you, I know this is coming out on Sunday, but do yourself a favor. Go back and look at Connor's comment on on Lonzo Ball's weightlifting form from Friday. Because my God, I between you and Will, I haven't laughed that hard in I don't know how long. I was crying. <laughs> Is he, Lonzo Ball put out. Just, hold on, we'll talk about it real quick. I, I thought about this for a solid ten minutes of how how we would be able to tie this in, and we there's no way we could. There's no way. And and but Lonzo Ball, <laughs> Lonzo Ball came out with this this video of him working out, and you know here it makes sense because we're talking about the NFL Combine a little bit earlier. Yeah, sure. But but he's benching what he says is two twenty five, which there's no way those plastic circular weights, rounded off weights, weigh two twenty five, and he's like, I want you this. 225, it's too light. It's too light, baby. Too late. It's like, bro, you did it five times. And you, oh, just go watch the video. It's incredible. With bad form. The shoulder press, the, the shoulder press is, is bad. It's really bad. Yeah, his wrist, wrist, his wrist did a TikTok dance in the middle of the, of the rep. It was, it was that bad. Bent arms. I mean, just Ugh. awful form. Awful anyway. form. Anyway. The thing no, hold on. You... Real quick, real quick. The last, the last rep he did on the shoulder press... <laughs> he said, we'll have to put a disclaimer out like you have to watch this video before you watch yes, this, you have this podcast but like he when the last one he like paused before like the last like Ugh, before he got it up but he never locked his arm so it's like why did you even pause like just call yeah. that the rep anyway bad workout video love love me some bad workout videos the thing that you didn't know slash remember until re-watching slash researching this I had forgotten in this game that Manziel was banged up. Yeah. Thought that this was just kind of like, eh, you know, you, you suffer that second loss, that third loss. You're not competing for Heisman National Championship. It's easy to kind of look back on this and assume, yeah, maybe his head just kind of wasn't right. Right. Um, 
But he came in with a thumb injury. He took some shots in this game. I mean, there was there was points in this game where I'm like, he definitely should be getting a concussion out. test. and Or, yeah, he should be taking himself out, and he's not going to. They kept showing him wincing on the sidelines, too. Say what you want about Johnny Manziel. To play in this game, dude was tough. I mean, dude a, yeah. was tough. There, no was no need, there was no need to play in this game. Like, yeah, I, I think that is something that we forget about him because he wasn't a big guy, but he de- he definitely he, the kid's a gamer, man. It's like a beating. Yeah, and and I think that uh, like there was something on the line. So it, it like I forgot. I think somebody said this during the broadcast, but it, or maybe somebody some one time said this about Manziel. But like there was something on the line, so it was like everything was on the line. Yeah, you know what I mean. When the losing that down. That's a really good quote. Yeah, it's good. Deep, real deep. When the losing team blew it, there was the key play at the end of the game. There, this this game followed um, a back and forth that was a little bit surprising because A and M their their defense was bad. I mean, bad yeah. this year, but on this day, their defense was good, and they they were bottling up James Franklin, and it was a rough go for a while for the Mizzou offense. And yeah. finally, when they got that touchdown from Washington, it felt like kind of their their breakthrough moment, but. AM comes back, just storms back, and had this great drive. I mean, a, a peak AM 2012-2013 drive where they just march right down the field and they tie it up. And there's 314 left. Yeah. Mizzou is facing third and one on their own 43-yard line, which is a Beautiful. dicey. It's a dicey spot at the end of the game if you don't pick this up. We see this run where Henry Josie. Gets it, and he just busts right through the middle, right through the middle of that AM defensive line. They had the breakdown that they had been kind of, Mizzou had been kind of waiting for all day. Their season long tackling issues finally surface, and Josie just shoots through, and Brent's call, hello, touchdown. Yeah. Little, little hat tip to old Keith Jackson there. Yeah. Picked up on that. That was good. He had, oh, he also said, uh, a 57-yard lightning bolt by a young man you find yourself pulling hard for. Yeah. Why, why did he say that, you ask? Henry Josie's story is pretty unique. Oh, God. We have... No, this isn't like, oh. this isn't like a bad thing. Uh, yes, I. this is... Well, go ahead, go ahead. Because usually if you hear that from, from Musburger on a broadcast, who is a capital J journalist to a yeah. T... Henry Josie had uh, a good career up until, you know, through 2011. He had two seasons, I guess, yeah, 2011 and then again in 2013, where he had 1,100 rushing yards, but he missed all of 2012 with this serious knee injury. Now, I think we're a little bit numb to serious knee injuries in this day and age because we think, ah, torn ACL. We've seen Adrian Peterson come back from it. No big deal. This was not a torn, just a torn ACL. Mizzou, tra- Mizzou trainer said that this injury that Henry Josie suffered during a game was in 26 years unlike anything that he had ever seen. One in a million injury. He had to fix the meniscus and he had cartilage, uh, the patellar tendon, and the MCL and ACL all torn. Basically just right. like needed a whole new knee. Gary yeah. Pinkle, who never gives out game balls to specific players, did so in 2013 in Henry Josie's debut. I mean, just a kid that, like, the rehab to have to go through that, to play the running back position in the SEC, that had to suck. That yeah. rehab was probably hell for that kid. And for him 
to get that clinching moment where he gets a 57-yard touchdown run to mm-hmm. clinch a division title for Mizzou, awesome. Awesome yeah. moment. Place went nuts. It was – I remember when that happened, and it happened in 2012, right? Have, the injury happened in 2012, yeah. So yet another thing that goes wrong for that team that year. And I, remember, I remember this, like – this almost, like, desperate, like, feeling – from like or, or like sentiment from Jeff, and he's like, it's just like, what else can go wrong? Yeah. Like, what else can possibly go wrong for this team? And and it just it was so disheartening to see because that kid's a good kid, man. Henry Josie was a good kid, and he was a good running back, like a very good running back that didn't get enough credit, especially in that offense, the stupid ass offensive line. Sports. Not a lot of running lanes for him for most. <laughs> no, of that game. <laughs> like I'll, I'll, I'm gonna go back today and and get some tape of some of these old games and send them to you, and you're gonna watch all of them. But of like, it was just it was like, what are you like? You know how like sometimes offensive linemen, they they would go. I remember they would go up to the line, and they would hold out their arms like this, and just like fingertip touch each other, like that stupid painting. And it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's just like, stop what you're doing, you weirdos. Um, but no, it, it, it was it was a really disheartening thing because you, you see, you, you watch this kid and you, and you don't ever want anyone to get injured, but I believe this was his second injury too. This was not like, this this comeback, I want to say he had another another significant injury. I don't maybe I'm wrong, but either way, it was it was, it was a really cool moment. And, and, and to see him, especially on third and one, because it was, that, that game... A&M comes back and scores with 10 minutes to go in the fourth and then has, like you said earlier, a lot of opportunities to win this game. Yes, had plenty, had plenty. And both teams just kind of struggled, struggled from that point until this this run finally happened. Josie actually left Mizzou early with a year of eligibility remaining. 5'8", 194 pounds, right at 4'4'3". I mean, dude was quick. Unfortunately, one of those declared early, undrafted guys, practice squad guy in the NFL. I don't blame that kid one bit no. for leaving early, given what he had gone through and having a play like this. Who knows how how maybe that could have impacted his NFL draft decision to yeah. say, you know what, I got to be able to capitalize on this now. There is no guarantee that I'm going to be able to hold up and play another season in college. Don't blame uh-huh. that kid for doing what he did. All right, this is the part you're going to hate. So. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but we have to go down this road. The what would have happened afterwards if the result was flipped? If the result is flipped, South Carolina goes to the SEC championship as the East winner instead of Mizzou. Does South Carolina present Auburn a tougher challenge? Now, this Mizzou defense, which was really, really good, led up 59 points to Auburn. I mean, Auburn ran right down their throat. Trey Mason ran... Trey Mason ran for over 300 yards in that yeah. game. I mean, as great as the Mizzou defense was, and I don't know how much this game maybe maybe took the wind out of their sails or they just didn't have enough to be able to turn around on this quick of notice because Auburn put it to them. Yeah. Does South Carolina give Auburn a better fight? Maybe. It doesn't matter. Here's why it could. South Carolina was on fire, as we had said earlier. Had yeah. just beat Clemson by a couple scores. I, I reached out to my buddy Brad Crawford, who, uh, in terms of South Carolina stuff, like he is my guy. Like he knows yeah. all things South Carolina. Yeah. And he said there was a lot of South Carolina fans who believed that with a senior Connor Shaw, who probably South Carolina's best quarterback of the 21st century, probably. Who's um, a Dylan kid? Dylan Moses is a linebacker for Alabama Marlins. Dylan Thompson, I think that's what his name was. Yeah. 
Uh, if, if Connor Shaw is not the best, he, he's certainly up there as a senior yeah. too. Auburn was riding high, hadn't lost to South Carolina since 1933 though. Brad said no, he would not have bet on South Carolina to win that yeah. game. But just for fun, and fun for me, not as much for you. <laughs> if South Carolina wins that game against Auburn, Bama gets into the national championship. No, they don't. They get into the national championship because no. who else gets in? I don't know, Connor. I don't remember that season. I was I got a, I was unemployed. They were it was number the end of twenty thirteen. They were number three in the BCS oh rankings after com- conference championship week. Oh, you're right. You're so right. Does Bama beat Jameis after with that historically yes. good Florida State team who had killed yes. everybody? Yes. They get their one loss, and you give Saban forty days to prepare, and he had n- and he's never lost. I don't care. Like people will sit here and say that I'm being a homer. I will. I have said. From the moment that, not going to say it, the moment that effing Trey Matthews decided he didn't want to knock down a Hail Mary pass and go for the interception, that's, I hate this so much. So, I have found a way. won that game a thousand percent in my opinion because simply because of the fact that they they had never lost with that much time off. First off, that's, that's, that's the BCS era. So that that's the point, last yeah. BCS national championship they had. Never lost that much time off. You have a former assistant. All of these things that we talk about constantly B- now. Bama's on a free roll, play. too. Bama's on a free roll. It's almost like the 2017 thing all yeah. over again, where all of a sudden, yes, you had just lost this devastating game to Auburn, but hey, you've got new life. You can still win a national championship. They were ranked number three in the BCS standings after that. So that's what makes me think, and I didn't realize this at the time. 2011 is a better example. Probably, yeah. Fair, okay, fair, fair enough. But I different when they, way, but yeah, yeah. I mean, coming off of that loss, though, and again, it would have taken South Carolina beating Auburn in the SEC championship, which there's no guarantee that that happens. But no. isn't it crazy to think about what could have potentially changed with a game like this, which? We don't look back on this game and think think that this changes the course of history or Florida State was just on a different level than everybody else that year or yeah. anything like that. But it's amazing how you can connect the dots yeah. and wonder what if. That is amazing, Connor. Are you are you gonna punch me or No, it's fine. You I mean I can't see you right now. All right, so it's, all right. it's good. That's good. The player image that we'll always remember when thinking of this. Um, and this was something I forgot about that happened in when you watch the broadcast back, you're not going to pick up on this on highlights, but um, if you just watch this watch this game through in its entirety, you hear this is why I like being able to hear some of the in between stuff, and I don't yeah. like I don't necessarily like all the time to do the uh, game in an hour because it's great and it's efficient, but sometimes I like getting some of the in between commentary or hearing yeah. what fans are saying. All that Mizzou fans at the end of this game when they realize it's theirs and it's clinched, they start chanting SEC yeah. SEC. Herb Street talking about you know how Auburn and Mizzou were two and fourteen against the SEC last year, cool cool moment. And then as you said earlier, when they they storm the field, they're about to at least. And Brett says they said they weren't going to let them storm the field. Good luck with that. Yeah, <laughs> great moment for Mizzou. Oh man, so my player image that we'll always remember from this game is uh, earlier in the day when Chris Davis ran back a hundred and nine <laughs> yard. <laughs> And I don't care how that sounds. That's what I will remember from this game. Because I don't remember this game. I was 
admittedly, like I think in a blackout and was not in a place that I was gonna I, like. Like it, it takes a lot. There, there's games from we talked about this before, with with Georgia, South Carolina from the debates on South Pod from mm-hmm. 1980 that I was like, oh, I remember this, and then this happened, and this happened, and things from before my time. It takes a lot for me to not remember anything from a game. Didn't even know this game was on TV. Yep. I was covering uh, I was covering USHL hockey during the middle of this game. That's what I was doing back in I 2013. Was covering up throw up on my shirt, I think, uh, <laughs> and tears and mascara that had ran down my face. I'm kidding about the mascara, but anyway. Hey, but the good news is after after this, everything got better in the life of Marler. So that's true. That is true. Thank God. That was a tough. I slept in my closet that night. It was, oh, it was a rough Bet- night. Bed was unavailable, or I live with this douchebag that had like he would just turn on the TV in the living room at like full blast, and just leave it on. That's nice. And I would go out there and turn it off, and he would go back and turn it back on. He was just a terrible person, so I would have to, like it was whatever. Twenty thirteen sucks. I can't believe we did this stupid game. Anyway, join us next week. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and to be to be to be one hundred percent clear, I did not even realize. I didn't connect. No, the I didn't either. I should. It have. was my idea. It, yeah, it, it took two seconds of, of watching this to be like, oh boy. <laughs> I was like, like Connor was like, we should do South Carolina Mizzou because because it, it, like when this happens, double overtime like, game, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, wait a second, why did we do this game? Whose idea was this? And and I was like, well, this was your idea, Chris. And then and then I was like, what? Why don't I remember this game? Something's wrong here. It's like, what? <laughs> it's like looking at Queso. Like, what's that, Lassie? I was having an emotional breakdown? Okay, cool. <laughs> anyway. We got one team left. We got one team left. For Vandy, should we maybe do a Jordan Rodgers game? We need to get Jordan Rodgers on here. We do. We do. We have a couple of Vandy things to do on this podcast in the very near future. That's the first shame. It's the first time I've ever said that. That's yeah, I could promise you that. Um, this was fun. Hopefully, everybody has enjoyed the podcast all week. The Herschel versus George versus George Rogers stuff. The casual Friday birthdays pod. Um, hopefully, everybody has enjoyed this. Uh, yeah. Please give us a five star review. We should read yeah, five star reviews have... on Casual Friday sometime soon. I think we, we have some new do. ones. We do have some new ones. We'll read those uh, Casual Friday. We'll read them Casual Friday next week. How about that? Okay, I plan on doing good. that. Right. Um, if you have not yet, leave us a five star review. Go follow us on all of our social media accounts at SDS. At SEC Football, at Vern Funquist, at CJ O'Gara. Yeah, maybe don't follow me on Twitter right now. Eh, all right. Break. Put it on the to-do list. Do it in like a go. month or so. Yeah. Um, James Franklin, uh, Maddie Mock, what do we need to remember? It just means more. <laughs> Talk to you guys soon.